Welcome to SADCAST, the podcast for working creatives. This is episode 70. I'm your host, Pamela Rooney's creative director and co-publisher of the physical magazine, Sad Mag. So how's everyone's spring going? Um, what's happening? Pachacucha is coming up again, June 27th, and it's plant-themed, so that's a nice thing that's happening. Um, you can get your tickets now, pechacuchavancouver.com. I always like Pecha Kucha Night because people can only talk for 20 seconds a slide and you never get too bored of one of the speakers. So it's an evening of talk for this generation, basically. <laughs> um, we're prepping our 10th anniversary issue right now. So we've been really busy, but I didn't want to leave the sad cast hanging this month. So we have a treat for you. I'm going to play you excerpts from Sad Comedy Volume 7, which was a part of JFL earlier this year. I'm a huge comedy fan. Maybe it's a good foil for my salty personality. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I think comedy must be like one of the hardest things to do well consistently. Also, in this day and age, like it must be really hard to be fresh. Yumi and I talked about this a couple episodes ago. Comedy can really change over time. And I think it's changing more rapidly than ever. I tried watching blazing saddles the other day my god it was like the most problematic movie maybe i've ever seen and it's like a classic but like does it still get to be a classic it's a curious thing many people have written about it i'm sure anyway back to present day um even though it was recorded a couple months ago i'm pretty sure it still holds up recorded at the red gate review stage on granville island in february here's sad comedy volume seven hosted as always by the lovely jackie hoffart Here's Abdul Aziz, Pardis Parker, Tin Lorica, and Katie Ellen Humphreys at Sad Comedy Volume 7. Your next comic um, indicated that he is a good friend. <laughs> and that if anybody needs a ride home after the show, his number is 250 588. 8798. Apparently, there are three spots left in his car. Uh, I was like, Did you? I was like, Don't give me someone else's number. He's like, No, that's really my number. So, again, it's 250 588 8798. Everyone, please give it up for Abdul Aziz. Yeah, you, you guys come to a comedy show, I give you the opportunity to make a friend. <laughs> Let's do it. You guys want to hear about my Dungeons and Dragons podcast? Get in my truck. <laughs> oh, man, I am embarrassed that I revealed to you that I have a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. If... It's, Huh? It isn't on Spotify. It's the only place it's not. But you guys have my number, so text me. And I'll send you a link to it. Again, the phone number is 250-588-8798. I don't know why your phones aren't out. I can see that your phones aren't out. Everybody, take out your phones. Take out your phones right now. The show is not going to continue. <laughs> It's 250. <laughs> um, uh, uh, sorry? 250 588 
8798. I am leaving in 10 minutes. <laughs> it's amazing being a father. Like, it gives you, like, a whole different perspective. Like, now I know that when you guys were born, your fathers didn't love you. <laughs> like, not right away. Like, it takes time. And I know you guys are looking at me like, did this guy just say he didn't love his son? Yes! <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like when your friend introduces you to their friend, and they're like, isn't he great? And you're like, probably. <laughs> I just need some time to get to know. Like, does anybody have kids in the audience? Does anybody in the audience have kids? Sir, you, did you love your kid right away? Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck right off with that bullshit. I know you didn't, man. What's your name? Tobin. Your kid loving bullshit. <laughs> okay, Tobin. You love your kid so much. What was its name? <laughs> See, he doesn't even know. <laughs> what, what, what did you feel when you saw, when you saw it? <laughs> For the first time. This I gen is not part of the joke. I genuinely want to know what what was the feeling? You meant gratitude and pride. No, fuck you, Tobin. <laughs> okay, how about we do it like this? By round of applause, who didn't love their kid right away? Fuck. Just Ken. It's just Ken. <laughs> okay, everyone else in here, you're fucking liars. And you don't have to lie. No one can see your face. Anyway, text me if you want to ride home after the show. <laughs> huh? When they're four years old? I. Okay, well, I do love. Okay, see, I never said hate. You said hate. <laughs> Sorry? There's a lot of feelings, guys. You can feel more than one thing at one time. This is a TED talk now. <laughs> our emotions are complicated things. <laughs> but how do we know what we should think? about feelings. <laughs> it's all bullshit. Everything is bullshit. <laughs> um, I don't even know where I am in the set, in the joke order. Tobin? Tobin fucked everything up. Tobin fucked it all up for all of you. <laughs> there were good jokes. I guarantee it. <laughs> But Toby came in here with his immense pride and gratitude bullshit. Immense pr Fuck you. <laughs> Look, I'm not one to try and antagonize anyone in the audience, but eat my fucking shorts, Toby. <laughs> <Ugh. laughs> 
I don't know, like, if you guys saw that, but that was me trying my fucking hardest to insult a person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, my, I'm, I'm, I'm an immigrant. Is anyone else in the audience an immigrant? There's a lot of quiet hand-raising happening. <laughs> Miss, uh, where are you from? Yeah. Romania. Okay. <laughs> not exactly I mean I don't want to marginalize your experience but are there any real (laughs) your your experience I'm sure is very hard Uh, but another guy yelled out Iran so We have a much more similar experience, so I'm going to try and connect with this individual right now. (laughs) Sir, uh, can you raise your hand, whoever said that? Uh, uh, When did you move here? Uh, In 79. 1979? How old were you? I was two when I left Iran. Okay. When you moved here, did your dad ever have a conversation with you where he told you you now represent your whole race? Yeah. Miss <laughs> Romanian lady, uh, again, I don't want to marginalize your experience. You, but did your dad ever say that to you? Uh, what, who said that to you? Your grandma. So, you know, it takes all kinds. All kinds. <laughs> Different immigrants. This is the experience that we all have. Our parents, they, they sit us down when we're children, and they're like, you represent... All of us. <laughs> and then it makes you really anxious because you don't want anyone to find out anything about you because you're like, I don't want to give everyone the impression that all Muslims like the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> it's inaccurate. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, um, I remember when I moved here, uh, my daycare was in a church. And uh, I'd never been in a church before. And when I walked into the church, uh, I saw a very large, very detailed sculpture of a murder. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what? What do they do here? (laughs) And even now as an adult, it is very weird to me that every church has a sculpture of the crucifixion in it. Because, like, everyone that built these churches, like, believes that Jesus is coming back one day. And it's like, well, what do you think his reaction to that is going to be? Like, he's going to come back and go into a church and just be like, what the fuck is this? And a priest will just be like, it's you, man. Do you remember? Yeah. I remember, yeah. That was the worst day of my life. Why did you fixate on this one thing? 
Like, I did a lot of other stuff. Like, I healed the sick and I cured the blind. I also turned white. Also, why am I white in this? And it's true. It was like the worst day of his life. Like, it's a fu- that's a mind fuck. Like, imagine you died and came back to life in 2,000 years. And someone had built a religion around the worst moment of your life. It, like, for me, and I'm going to be honest with you guys right now, uh, despite Tobin's behavior, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, Tobin. <laughs> His fucking pride and bullshit. <laughs> But the worst moment of my life was one time uh, my mom walked in on me masturbating on the shared family computer in the den. And it would be strange if I came back to life in 2,000 years and there was a giant sculpture of it happening in every church. I'm just like, wow. It's very detailed. My mom is in it. My mom is in this one. You can see the tabs that I had open. (laughs) All right, that's it for me. Thanks a lot, you guys. Um, Your next comic is... um, Like, no offense to everybody else on the show, but he has, like, real credits. (laughs) Um... Is that weird to say? I don't know. He has like a Comedy Central like web show and also he's uh, on This Hour Has 22 Minutes. Everybody give it up for Pardis Parker. One more time for Jackie everybody. Give it up. Like Jackie, I am also having trouble conceiving with my two wives. So... Funny thing is, my name's Pardis Parker, and I monogram everything, so my mason jars also say PP on them. <laughs> so my name's Pardis Parker, from Halifax. Yep. <laughs> Live in Los Angeles. Work in Hollywood. People say it's a good time to be brown in Hollywood. People who say that are usually not brown. (laughs) It's like, maybe things are better than they were, but we still have a long ways to go. Yeah? Like, for example, I was pitching a movie to a producer the other day. And I go, you know, it's kind of based on my life, but really, it's about how all brown people tend to get lumped together, even when they have literally nothing in common. She goes, right. So it's like Slumdog Millionaire? Yes. It's like Slumdog Millionaire. It's like those memorable scenes. Where Slumdog grew up in Halifax. and became a comedian. (laughs) I don't think you're the right producer for the project. Or any project. It'd be alright if she was an anomaly, but she's not, man. She's par for the course. I sent a different script to another producer. She writes me back. She goes, I love the script. Especially loved how you took the premise 
and gave it an immigrant twist. <laughs> I was just like, bitch. <laughs> He's like, my race isn't a twist. Like, it's not something I threw in at the last second just to, you know, just to keep you on your toes. <laughs> And the crazy thing is, the script had nothing to do with race, and it certainly didn't have any twists. Like, at no point did I lead you to believe one thing and then reveal something else. Like, I'm bad at that. So the only way her comment would have been remotely appropriate is if she read the script, got to the end, and suddenly realized Bruce Willis was M. Night Shyamalan. (laughs) Otherwise, the only real twist is that she can make comments like that and still be a producer. She's not alone, man. She's not alone. I was pitching a TV show to another producer about my mixed-race family where neither side is white. She goes, right. Love the idea. Worried it's a little too diverse. (laughs) I was just like, yeah, no, too diverse. I get it. I mean, if there's one thing we know about gene pools, it's that it's better when they're shallow. Reminds me of the last conversation I had with my dad. He goes, you know, the country's a lot like a bowl of soup. And he goes, now nah, I love soup. I've eaten soup for literally every meal of the day since immigrating to Canada. And what I've learned is that the healthiest soup is soup that's made up of just one ingredient. And I was just like, wait, what? So you mean like hot water? And he goes... Still get a little choked up talking about my dad. Sir. Rest in peace, Bob. Yeah, it really came as a shock when he died of malnutrition. We just didn't see it coming, you know, like, we just... I mean, he ate so much soup. Just really thought he had to figure it out. And that, I believe, is how you would take a premise and give it an immigrant twist. So, are things better than they were? Maybe. Maybe. But we still have a long ways to go, and I don't know what the solution is. I don't, you know? Like, round of applause. How many people here hate racists? It's good. It's good, yeah. Because, like, even though I don't know what the solution is, I do know that the only way to fight racism is for us to band together and hate an entire group of people. It's the only way only way. Move back to Canada? Okay. 
<laughs> I actually just got back to LA from visiting home for the holidays. Something I do every year. It's a terrible decision. <laughs> every time. Because home is Halifax. <laughs> and the holidays is winter. <laughs> Me visiting Halifax during winter is like the Little Mermaid visiting Atlantica during hurricane season. It's like Achilles visiting Greece during bow and arrow season. It's like people who don't like being sexually harassed visiting Italy. during any season. It's just a terrible decision. People make it. Don't understand. Don't understand people who want to live in places that aren't comfortable, you know? Like, especially when they're not cut out for it. Like, a buddy of mine keeps talking about Mars. He goes, oh, I'd love to live on Mars. I'd love to live on Mars. I'm just like, John, you don't even love to camp. <laughs> Maybe tackle that first, bud. Take this step by step. Don't understand people, man. Don't understand men. Don't understand men. I don't understand what we contribute to society. I don't. I genuinely don't. Like, as far as I can tell, men are good at three things. One, getting rid of spiders. Two, opening pickle jars. And three, determining the exact moment at which we need to poke a campfire. Because as far as men are concerned, if a fire's not poked, it stops burning. That's what men believe. That's what all men believe. I don't think it's true, though. Because if it was, every time a house burned down, firefighters would just rush to the homeowners and be like, all right, who was poking it? Oh, no one? Well, then how did it burn? It's not something you hear. That's not how fire works. Don't understand men. Don't understand how we respond to things, you know? Like the Me Too movement. Like male celebrities in particular. The things they say. Like, oh, the Me Too movement's a witch hunt. The Me Too movement's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. It's like, no, it's not. You know what is a witch hunt? Actual witch hunts. <laughs> oh, you're a famous millionaire who lost his TV show? Oh, it's devastating. Were you also bound, stoned, and drowned for the heinous crime of having freckles? <laughs> no? Probably not a witch hunt. Don't understand men, man. Like, oh, you got to give men the benefit of the doubt. You got to give men the benefit of the doubt. You can't assume all men are evil. It's like, yeah, you can. <laughs> and you should. If you saw a lion charging at you in the middle of the jungle, you wouldn't stop and go, now hang on. Maybe he's one of the good ones. We should give this lion the benefit of the doubt. Now, you'd react to that lion the exact same way you'd react to any lion. By blowing your rape whistle. friend of mine hates that idea. Thinks I'm just generalizing about men. I thought about it. I was like, you know what, man? You're right. 
Last thing I'd want to do is use my comedy to perpetuate stereotypes about gender, about race, whatever, you know? Like I wouldn't want people to treat you like a terrorist just because you're Irish. <laughs> But at the same time, it's not a stereotype if it's true. And it's 100% true that 100% of men are guilty of contributing to a culture of harassment. That's why so many men are scared, man. Say anything like, oh, the Me Too movement's good. Women are taking it too far. Women are taking it too far. Taking this Me Too stuff too far. Like, no, they're not. Women aren't taking it far enough. A woman should be doing is hitting men where it hurts. <laughs> a woman should be doing is demanding monetary reparations. Back pay for all the raises you didn't get. Back pay for all the free housework you did. Back pay for all the times an insecure man has forced you to pay them a false compliment. You're right, sweetie, now from this angle, it totally looks like a six pack. <laughs> Stand under the light? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, you're right, sweetie. From this angle, it totally looks like a normal sized penis. <laughs> Stand under the light? There it is. Oh, no, you're right, sweetie. From this angle, it totally looks like your father's proud of you. <laughs> Stand under the light. <laughs> I was watching this TV interview with this male psychology prof, and the guy was getting upset that the interviewer implied that there was a patriarchy. He goes, patriarchy? Patriarchy? What evidence is there of a patriarchy? There's no patriarchy. Most prisoners are men. Most homeless people are men. Most people frustrated with the new purchase because they refuse to read the instructions are men. <laughs> and on and on. Just kept listing all these ways in which men were losing in society. I was just like, yo, that's not evidence that there isn't a patriarchy. That's just evidence that even when you give men every advantage imaginable, they will still fuck up. Don't understand men, man. Don't understand what we contribute, how we occupy so many positions of power. Blows my mind. It's almost as if when men are hiring other men for top positions, there's only one question in the job interview. Do you know how to poke a campfire? <laughs> oh, you do? Great, you're hired. Wait, you don't have freckles, do you? <laughs> God, I have to drown you. Don't understand. Don't understand what those guys did, man. Like the stuff that got them in trouble, the way they treated women, blows my mind. Like, I'm the complete opposite, you know? Like I'm terrified around girls. Constantly worried that I'm misreading the situation. Been like that my whole life, you know? Like this one time in college, this girl came over to my place, took off all her clothes, got into my bed naked, and I was just like, oh man. Guess she's got dibs on the bed. <laughs> and I slept on the floor. My name's Pardis Parker. You guys have been great. Have a good night. Everybody give it up for Tim Lorica.
You're welcome, Jackie. You guys do shrooms? I did shrooms this past summer with a friend. And you know, you know when you're just on shrooms, or you feel like you're a genius? <laughs> this past summer, I did shrooms with a friend. And every five minutes, I would turn to her and do this bit. Like, hey, you know what I love? <laughs> Feeling safe. Just can't get enough of it. <laughs> Anytime a bunch of like frat bros or like a bunch of cool teens would walk towards us, I would do the bit even louder. Like, hey, you know what I love? Feeling safe. Just the general logic, you know, that I was following while I was on shrooms was that loudly dropping hints that I love to feel safe would turn away a potential attacker. Let's try it all tonight and report back. I just thought it was like the smartest thing that I'd ever said, you know? You know what makes me feel safe when I'm on a first date? Witnesses. <laughs> I really felt like I was really onto something there with like my fake deep epiphany. You know, it's just, it's just a very good, bare minimum, basic human need to feel safe. I just feel like it's a little bit more direct than like a rape whistle. <laughs> so I'm coining, I'm coining it as a, a parallel cat call. <laughs> as in parallel lines never meet, you know, so you loudly hope that when you're walking home alone at night, person across the street doesn't come over to your side. <laughs> Just loudly hope. A little bit more about me. Um, yeah, my name is Tin Lorca. I love to feel safe. Uh, identify as non-binary, so if you want to talk shit about me after the show, I use they, them pronouns. But before that term non-binary like, made it into my, my vocab and like, my sense of identity, you know, my particular expression, as you can see it today, was heavily inspired by lesbian icon and sex symbol Michael Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. Canadian queer icon Michael Sarah. <laughs> Michael Sarah saved my life. Like, 
I went to high school, I went to Catholic high school in suburban Alberta. And um, it just really boded well for me to like imagine myself as like a Michael Cera type, you know, like, you know, like I just wrote myself in my own indie movie where I'm always learning and growing as a person and redeeming myself. I also just really liked his style. Like, I just really wanted to emulate his whole, like, virginal, dorky, hipster vibe. And I'm, I'm pulling that off pretty well. <laughs> At age 25. You know, like, I wasn't, I wasn't like the other girls. I, was, I wanted to be the boy who wasn't like the other boys. You know? <laughs> Representation matters. <laughs> You know, it just, it just happened that Michael Sarah was around during my formative years, and now I'm like a non-binary Michael Sarah with bangs. <laughs> That's some pretty low stakes. Yeah. So um, one of the worst kinds of racism that I experience is the kind that I do to myself. And um, internalized racism, have you heard of it? (laughs) Yeah. So in 2019, like, I'm just like, you know, going on this journey of healing and dealing and and, um, accepting, finally, that I have lactose intolerance. (laughs) So if you, I don't know, I don't know if you guys know this, but like a lot of Asians are lactose intolerant. And I just... I gaslighted myself (laughs) for 25 years into thinking that I was, like, lactose hesitant at best. (laughs) Did you guys know that eating food didn't have to involve a lot of pain? (laughs) So, diet cheese? You guys a fan? Yeah. <laughs> Diet cheese has been a good, like, good harm reduction for me. <laughs> but it tastes like ass. <laughs> it's not my favorite flavor, but I'll eat it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but, like, I'm a bit of a snowflake. Non-binary, lactose intolerant, and um, okay, but for real, there's there's something that's been bothering me. Like you know, like on the news, there are people that are like, "What's up with like these teens?" You know, like <laughs> becoming like transgender and stuff. Like it's, it's like like it's a cool trendy thing, you know, because the resulting like transphobia is so much fun and trendy. Like, first of all, like, who cares, you know? Like, I feel like every generation there's, like, some sort of trend. And sometimes, like, whatever, like, some phases stick and some don't. Like, you guys remember that cultural moment that straight men had (laughs) when they discovered lotion? (laughs) For the first time, discovered moisturizing their skin? (laughs) Probably identified as metrosexuals? Yeah. (laughs) 
You look you, you in the front row. You look like you can. Uh, You look like, I mean, I can't tell, I'm not wearing my glasses, so I can't really, you know, tell how your skin looks, but you look like you drank a whole glass of homo milk. I resent that. I got my very first dick pic over the holidays. So it wasn't totally unsolicited, but like my heart wasn't really in it, you know? Like I was a little bit more invested in watching Jeopardy with my dad, who was like right next to me. So I wasn't, I wasn't, ex I wasn't expecting it or anything. Like I was talking to this dude and I don't know why I even looked at my phone. It was, it was, um, I, just, I don't know how it escalated. I, photo, I, I posted a photo of myself on Instagram, like on my story, and it just, he was like, we, we should catch up. I hadn't seen him in like two years. And um, he sent me uh, cute emojis, and then just went from zero to 100, like, dick pic, <laughs> right there. So, um, why do you guys think that's a good idea? Who here has sent a dick pic? <laughs> so, um, for the sake of the joke, um, I'm gonna call him Malcolm, because that's his real name. <laughs> I don't know why Malcolm thought this was a good idea, you know? So I, um, I have a women's studies degree. This is, this is what I have to show for it here tonight. Have you, you, you've got, you guys, yeah, you guys have heard of consent. Right? This is a new concept. So I'm just, like, enthusiastic consent, right? Like, it's not like it's ever, like, a simple yes or no, you know? There's, like, body language and, like, layers of trust that you hopefully, like, earn your way into. So enthusiastic consent, I'm just trying to put that into terms that, like, cis straight dudes, you know, might understand, you know, because it's just a concept that just goes a lot over their dickheads. <laughs> so here it goes. Enthusiastic consent is like two-step verification. <laughs> like for your email account. But in this case, the first step would be to actually make sure that the person wants to see your disembodied meat angle. And the second step would be to delete it. Delete it right now. I um, just keep 
keep it a mystery, you know? Like, if the person really wants to see it, like, show it to them in person if you've earned that trust. I love a mystery meat. I grew up eating spam, and I loved it, you know? So, for background, um, I didn't really sleep with my first straight dude, cis straight dude, until I was 23. And since the age of 15, I had only like hooked up with non-men, and I thought it was going to stay that way forever. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but um, it's been a really interesting experience. I realized, you know, after Malcolm Tummy's dick pic, that uh, I've never actually seen it. <laughs> I, I've, I've never directly looked a dick like when I was in the vicinity of one. I was just okay with the knowledge of where it was going. I just, at this point, I'm just never gonna, like, see, look, like, look one in the eye. Because when Malcolm sent me the dick pic, I found out he was uncircumcised. So that's, I'm learning. I'm learning, I'm growing as a person. Um, you know what? Like, I said it wasn't totally unsolicited because uh, I hadn't yet been, like, you know, I hadn't received the very important honor of being a recipient of a dick pic. You know, I hadn't reached his like important milestone. But you know what? The dick pic did not spark joy. <laughs> it didn't change my life. That's, that's what you have to take away from this experience. So, um, I'm almost done here. <laughs> this is my first dick, dick joke. <laughs> Gonna leave you with this. Does anyone um, work at a startup? <laughs> or like customer service, you know? When they're just like, they wanna make sure the morale is super high because they want you to feel like you're making uh, equal contribution to the workplace even when you're not. So, um, I'm not a team player, despite what my resume says. But I'm also not a fake bitch. I'm just passive aggressive. So uh, here's what you can tell your useless coworker or your mediocre hookup. <clears throat> Thank you for your energy. <laughs> Thanks for your energy, guys. Uh, your next comic is a founding member of The Ladies Show. Yeah. She's also a regular on CBC Debaters. Uh, she's also like a community mentor and an icon, commonly referred to as a gem. Give it up for Katie Ellen Humphreys, everybody. <laughs> much this feels like I'm going to do magic tricks <laughs> which is basically true you'll see 
No, I'm so happy to be here. It's such a privilege. I love to perform on the Sad Mag shows and really anything that, that Jackie hosts. She just does such a great job of creating a wonderful, diverse lineup and a wonderful energy and everything is always so fun. And I, that's not always the case when I do stand-up comedy. Sometimes, you know, when I'm touring around and I'm doing these road shows and things like that, I have to do like 20, 25 minutes worth of grocery store jokes before I can be like, hey... Y'all ready for women are people? Can I, can I ease that into the convo? No, not yet. Cool, 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 cool. Not sure they trust me yet. I get it, I get it. On those shows also, I very rarely uh, dress like a mean babysitter from a 90s movie. I just don't feel the freedom, you know? Here I can be myself is uh, messier than those other shows. And I'm here for it. I like it. Man, you guys are so fun. I love it here. I, I mean, I, I started off my set by, you know, praising, praising the show and, uh, you know, I'm going to roll with it. Is it pandering? Who can say? <laughs> but it's just, it's just not every audience is as beautiful. The first club show I ever did I walked out on stage, and a woman in the audience said, ugh, a girl. If she does one period joke, I am leaving. Just like, I get, which I get, it's like a very common thought in the comedy world, and like, of course, like why, why would someone wanna talk about a thing that 800 million people on the planet experience? Like, what's even relatable about that? And I wasn't, I wasn't planning on doing menstruation jokes, but I did really want her to leave. <laughs> you can see, you can see how I was very torn. But that bias, that bias about like, oh, it's a girl, she's definitely gonna talk about this thing, that doesn't go the other way. Every male comic I know over 40 does a bit about his prostate exam and the whole bit is like, he got one. Mm. And like, drag it out. And like, you should have seen the size of this guy's hands. Like, I mean, it's like, buy me dinner first, doc. And every time I hear one of those jokes, I think the same thing. <laughs> Was somebody a little bit inside of you for a second? <laughs> Weird. Hey, was it a medical professional who went to school for a decade? Specifically trained so that that procedure is relatively painless and also might save your life? <laughs> I can't imagine. I can imagine, was say like a, like a 15-year-old hangnail connoisseur. 
with all the fervor and dexterity of a rabid squirrel trying to open a bag of chips. Cool story, bro. Thank you guys so much. What's your name, Kilian? Sadcast is produced by Naomi Ryan and Sad Magazine. Check us out next month when I interview illustrator Graham Zerk. Bye.